Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. I remember, uh, I think it was at this retreat a, f a couple of years ago, I, I was just remembering here, this as I was sitting here, I, how I opened the, the talk. I think I, I remember saying it was the last uh, evening like this, and I, I, um, I said, uh, so uh, many of you have uh, completed the a retreat for the first time, and many of you also for the last time. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> it's just a way to acknowledge that this is not an easy, uh, an easy adventure uh, to embark on. Yeah. But uh, you might feel uh, some uh, some clinging to. Uh, some of us might feel some kind of like, oh God, this is ending. And in the teaching, we talk a lot about clinging to uh, what is pleasant. So in, in this case, it would not be clinging, clinging <laughs> what is pleasant or only pleasant, because I'm sure you had, uh, all of us had moments of um, displeasure, to say the least, no? Let's get real here. <laughs> This is not the easiest thing to do, and uh, I feel um, a lot of, um, uh, what's the word, I, f I feel, um, it's not appreciation, but um, uh, I'm impressed by uh, the, your commitment and uh, the way you held this, and the quality of silence, and we mentioned it a number of times. Uh, uh, when we met together, the teachers, that there was a beautiful quality of silence and uh, could see that um, you guys were really considering these ideas and, uh, and, and really putting a lot of effort in what you've been doing. So it's, uh, it's really beautiful and touching. And uh, tonight I'd like to talk about, um, uh, maybe come back on uh, a, part of uh, Rebecca's talk last night. She talked about the Four Noble Truths, and at some point she was talking about the Second Noble Truth of clinging, and I thought I could do my little number, my little takeoff uh, on, uh, on that Second uh, Noble Truth. Because um, there's a list in the Buddhism, there's a lot of, um, of lists. Huh? They're supposed to be helpful. That's, uh, that's why they, they show up like this, because it helps us remember divide reality in little lists, you know. And so we, maybe it uh, can be tools that we can use. And there's a list that I, um, I learned about the first time I went to, uh, to learn meditation in the same setting that uh, you are now, and it was in Thailand, but it was also uh, one week, 
retreat like this. And there was this list that was given of um, the four attachments, the four uh, forms of uh, clinging. Yeah. Um, so um, Rebecca talked last night about, uh, um, talked about um, uh, tanha, this word that describes uh, the second noble truth of like, the cause of suffering. Tanha being uh, translated literally as thirst. Uh, and, um, and there's another word also that is used, uh, is uh, upadana, which uh, is literally translated as fuel. So th this grasping is the fuel for what? The fuel for stress, the fuel for suffering. And so this clinging, these four kinds of attachments, clinging, grasping, of this same group of four that I'm going to talk about. In our common language also, I think, uh, although I have, we have our own in French, but in English, you might say uh, what you're freaking out about, <laughs> what you're stuck in, you know, uh, where's the hook? I think a lot in terms of the hooks. Um, I had a little kind of list here, um, what I'm getting tight about or what bugs me, you know? <laughs> Just so we, uh, so we find this in our common language. Like we describe clinging a lot like that. Uh, and of course, it can get extremely subtle. So in the four forms that we're going to talk about tonight, the last form is the most subtlest. Sounds good. Subtlest. <laughs> Subtlest. Doesn't, doesn't sound so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe I should uh, give you the list of four, no? Uh, so the first, and I'm going to try to spend not much time on it because we've talked about this uh, a lot, is um, clinging or uh, being getting hooked on uh, sense pleasure. And the second one is... Um, uh, clinging, uh, being stuck, or getting tight about uh, views and opinions. Yeah, just in the little, hmm. I recognize your appreciation of uh, <laughs> stuckness in that area of life. And uh, that happened this week. You'll, you might recognize when it happened this week as I talk, you know, like, oh yeah, definitely got stuck there, you know, with that little story. And it's also what's going to happen in your future, I guarantee. Um, well, I cannot guarantee, but uh, chances are. Uh, so sense pleasure, views and opinions. And uh, the other one, the literal translation and the way it's presented usually is uh, rites and rituals. But I add to this, and we'll see this when I, I get there, more like uh, conventions and ways to do things and norms. Do you recognize some, some things in there where we can get tight about and uh, stuck? And the last one is uh, the whole um, area, very, very rich and the subtlest area of uh, me, mine, I, moi my story, the story of me in the world, or, um, and all this, how we can, the identification or appropriation or possession that we have around uh, 
anything that happens as me, mine, etc. Yeah? When, um, when I say this, this list, when I just name it, for me, often I've, I have the feeling like, oh, I could actually stop there. You know, there's, we might not even need to go in the details of it, but just like uh, we can recognize, there would be, I think for many of us, a lot of stuff to work on for, for weeks just uh, with using this list, you know, of recognizing where I get stuck in views and opinions or ways to do things and, and sense pleasure. But I'll talk about it anyway, for, um, share a few ideas on that. There's a way to present the teaching where we say um, the mind uh, is naturally, uh, listen to this, this is really beautiful. The mind is naturally um, radiant and responsive, naturally luminous, clear and calm. It's because of uh, forces that comes, uh, come to, to visit the mind that... Uh, uh, it gets murky and uh, all the hindrances that uh, Chaz talks so well about show up on the cushion, on the walking, uh, in our meditation, but certainly also very much in life, this inability to connect, to, to bring about enough energy to actually show up for reality as it is, you know. This rejection, fear and fear or in... Uh, in the lashing out of what's happening, or this desire for something else, this desire that we often mistake for, um, for a, um, a kind of a pathway towards happiness, this desire that is actually, if we look very attentively with the tools that we're given here, we can uh, have a direct experience that this desire is actually an immediate experience of lack. And it's important for us to see this in our life, like when this is going to happen, it seems to be talking to me about my happiness. When this is going to happen, I'm finally going to be happy. But this is a kind of a postponing happiness device. You know, the only thing you're sure of is that there's something lacking, that there's, no, uh, there's not enough here, there's a lack. And so the mind is naturally uh, radiant, responsive, luminous. This is a way to just talk about brightness and ease and lack of stress. Yeah? But because of visiting forces, uh, it gets murky and difficult. And this week, as we were practicing, we saw the force of these, um, the power that these forces have on us. Like I go... I remember talking about this with one of the group when we interviewed together and met together. I give this very simple um, task to my body-mind. Can you please walk back and forth about 30 minutes, you know? No big danger, no cliff, no, uh, <laughs> no there's, there's nothing, it's a path. You don't even cross path with other people. You know, you have your own little path. There's nothing to it. So it should be pretty easy and easeful. And, and what is revealed there? What is revealed but the content of the mind? And suddenly it's like, yeah, but doubt sets in. You know, I can't walk, you know. <laughs> or desire, I need absolutely to get tea. It's imp <laughs> imperative, you know. 
I cannot possibly do this, you know, my body and, you know, like all this complexity when there's this very simple task that we're giving uh, our body and mind. So these forces are, are, um, are revealed and that's why we do this. That's why we do this simple practice of doing nothing for a week. So we can see how much drama we can generate about past, future, how unresolved uh, things are, and how the story of me is so compelling and so in the foreground of everything. It, you know, it's all about me. And as one uh, Zen teacher says, uh, you know, like, uh, even if you're, you, the me story is a lot of self-hatred and self-judgment, still it's an ego trip. It's like me uh, still at the center of the world but like me, the, 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 how do you say this in English? The third that is at the center <laughs> of the world. But still it's the same obsession. Sometimes it's an obsession of a grandeur, you know, moi, you know, the best meditator ever, or moi who really got it, or moi who really understand how pitiful others are. <laughs> or the opposite of the little moi, you know, uh, that is this dirty little thing that shouldn't really shouldn't exist, you know. Still it's an obsession. Uh, uh, and all this is based in what we call ignorance, in a misunderstanding, a misapprehension, a, mis, uh, a mistaken view of reality. And all our suffering uh, comes from there. And so uh, uh, we say uh, delusion, we call it also delusion. And it's... Uh, two main um, companion of greed and, uh, and hatred. And um, <clears throat> all this to say that this week we got to, f to, to feel this, amongst other things, of course, the joy, the calm, but we won't talk about this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Hopefully we will. Um, uh, so this, this misery that we felt, this one thing, something else, this, you know, fearing what's here, fearing the next 30 minutes of sitting and all this. Um, it's difficult to feel these, these um, hindrances, these states of mind, these emotions. We've uh, come very close to them this week. Uh, and they're difficult to feel, very difficult to feel. But that's not the only thing about them that they're... We, want, we would want them away because they're difficult to feel. The other thing that is important to notice or to find out in our investigation and in our presence, in our meditative presence, is to find how they actually color uh, perception, perception. They show us a world uh, that is not so. Um, and so in the text, sometimes you read... Um, the eye uh, is on fire, the ear is on fire, the nose, the mouth is on fire, the body is on fire, the mind is on fire. And one way to uh, understand this is that these senses um, have been um, hijacked. So instead of seeing the world, maybe in the most noble way would be uh, to use the senses to actually understand the world. Now it's not that that's happening. There's a, the eye, the ear, have been turned into radar, maybe, looking for something to grasp, for something to want more of, 
for something to reject. And it's a sad situation because we don't even notice it. And so then it's like, um, instead of investigating reality through the senses, suddenly it's like, just, oh, bird, beauty, you know. <laughs> I love birds. I've always loved birds. And, and then we all get like totally... Uh, wrapped up and infatuated with, with, with something. And then um, these, if it was only this, it wouldn't be so bad because you could appreciate the bird. But often there's a, there's a kind of loop we get in, in a spiral and it ends up for some reason miserable because, you know, I've heard that half of the singing birds have died and <laughs> what have we done and we're such bad people and the humans should not exist. There should be only whales. Whales are big. But <laughs> But they're peaceful. <laughs> I make it like a caricature, but th that's a lot what the mind will do. We'll hook up on something pleasant and we'll want to keep it, you know? So uh, it's a moment of uh, generosity, you know? Uh, you know, I just let somebody go through the door first. You know, I could really have gone first, I was there first, but. I'm a good yogi, so I let them go. <laughs> and so there's, there's some pleasure that is felt. It's beautiful, it's noble, um, it's a beautiful kind of pleasure that is felt. Uh, like, oh, I just, it's an experience, direct experience of renunciation, of giving. It's beautiful. It could be cultivated as such, but there could be a little twist in the mind. Like, I am so generous <laughs> right now. And you see the perversion that, uh, uh, so there's a pleasure there, and there's a little bit of eyeing and mying that happens, and there's an owning, a grasping at an experience. Instead of uh, being able to, with wisdom, recognize, wow, this bring, brought ease to the mind, to both parties here. You know, that is beautiful. Let's move on, you know. And in another opportunity, let's do the same. But there's this thing that we'll, we'll do. Uh, where we, uh, we grasp at uh, something that is felt as pleasant. Um, and just uh, with the unpleasant, uh, I just wanted to mention, you know this standardized react reaction now of like with the unpleasant, not always, and it's good to see, uh, not always do we uh, reject. Sometimes we're able to be with unpleasant and, and uh, in a caring way, in an easeful way, let it pass. Same thing with the pleasant. But there's this standardized reaction where often we will hook up on pleasant, this has been said here many times, and um, fear or reject or, or get bugged by the unpleasant. Yeah? But there's a second tendency that I just want to name. Because I, when I read this in the text, I was like, oh my God, even 2,600 years ago, people were uh, um, uh, doing this. So it says that when... Uh, the untrained mind or the unwise being meets um, something that is unpleasant. Um, he, uh, he wants to get away from it, you know, so there's a react reaction of uh, not wanting to feel, not wanting to be and pushing away. That's the first reaction, but there's a second reaction that is uh, often uh, kicks in. And you'll see this in your life in the next uh, weeks and uh, maybe uh, tonight even, where uh, it says in the text, the untrained mind doesn't know any escape from, uh, from the unpleasant. 
the only escape that he knows is to go and look for pleasant. So when something unpleasant happens, uh, the, re the reaction or the thing that will kick in is look for pleasant. So, uh, you know, turn towards the fridge. Open the upper part of the fridge and get some ice cream, you know. Uh, sit here, go in fantasy land. Go in some kind of uh, fantasy, sexual fantasy or my other life fantasy, you know. And so, uh, and all the kinds of ways that we can do this. So it's good for you to know that and to watch this in life and see this happen, how it, uh, it will kick in. There's a little solitude, anxiety being felt and <laughs> go check my email to make sure I exist for somebody, you know. Or, or, uh, and so that's for the untrained being and the, uh, the instruction or the invitation is to actually uh, stop and feel. It would seem easy, but not for us because we're so invested in pleasant and to the same degree that you're invested in pleasant, you will fear unpleasant. So it's very hard for us to actually uh, stop. But this week we've been learning this and that's beautiful. We've gained, although you might not have noticed, we have gained confidence in our practice. We've seen that we can actually do this. And so that's one of the, uh, the things, the qualities that we develop in practice is, uh, is this capacity to be with uh, reality and to be interested in reality and to have the confidence that we can actually uh, do this. Yeah? So let me talk, so that's kind of a, the words I'll say around the get, getting hooked around the uh, pleasantness and unpleasantness. Let's move to views and opinions, just so I get to touch a bit on every one of them. Um, so, um, well, actually, we're not far from the pleasant unpleasant again, because um, uh, we're invited to, uh, when we have an opinion, often we think that it's um, kind of reasoned, huh? that it's logic, that uh, there's a lot of thoughts put uh, uh, behind it. And one uh, link that is made in Buddhist psychology that is very important is the link between views and opinion and, guess who? Pleasant, unpleasant uh, feeling tone. And uh, often the views and opinions we have, we'll find that if we look closely, they're based on unpleasantness or pleasantness. I'll give you a very edgy uh, example of this. Uh, I'm watching the news on TV, and there's images of war, and war in a certain country. And uh, suddenly my, uh, my view arises very strongly that this war should stop, and that there's a country that is uh, really mistaken in the way that they, uh, uh, they use their power. And, uh, and my view, <laughs> I'm doing good, no, in terms of... <laughs> Making it diplomatic. <laughs> and um, and uh, my view is very, very strong that sh this should stop now. And uh, that is enough. And I I'm for peace. And there's another way to go about this, blah, blah, blah. And if I stop and look honestly, what I'll find is that my view and opinion uh, for peace is actually based in... Uh, in the reaction to unpleasant images. 
and it's a reactivity. And so it's not based in a wisdom or in compassion, in really taking in the images, uh, being touched, and uh, uh, kind of a recognition of uh, an awesome way of going about solving a problem. But an instant reactivity. And although it's about peace, and you would say, well, you know, it's, it's a view, an opinion that is on peace, still it's based on, uh, on delusion. It's based on uh, getting away from unpleasantness. Yeah. And you can see this in this form, but in all kinds of little ways. For me, it became, uh, one time on retreat, very, 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 uh, I would say, vivid. Um, I was sitting on a retreat. I had been actually sitting for a lot, lot of time, for a few months. And uh, I was at this particular center uh, already for a, a number of weeks. And at some point, uh, they decided to change the rules. They said, uh, there's a, there is a schedule, uh, as you see, but now people can come in and out as they want. You don't have to actually respect the schedule. You can uh, follow your own uh, inner voice of what you need and stuff, you know. And, and so that was one thing like this. And there were several little rules like this that they changed. And I was sitting there. And suddenly I was like, what are they doing? They have no idea, like, the noise that is going to make. And, of course, it started being like, <laughs> the doors and the, 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 you know, uh, footsteps in and the ruffling, uh, getting my little raft together, you know how we are, you know, <laughs> with our cushions and stuff and, you know, little this and little that and <clears throat> my voice before I get silence, you know. <laughs> And I had a really, really strong reaction. I, was, I had lots of opinions about what was going on and, you know, in all the centers that I had visited. That was not the way we would do things. You know, there was a schedule and you were invited to follow the schedule and, blah, 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 and all the different things that were happening. And, and um, I actually uh, had been very, very quiet for a long time. So I was extremely sensitive, I've, as you might have noticed today with uh, the, the waves of uh, conversation. Uh, or, you know, uh, or you might notice in the next few days, that I was extremely sensitive, and uh, and my view were very very strong, and actually it was hurting me physically so bad. I was sitting like this, and I was having my views and opinions, and my whole body was like so tight, and my heart was so constricted, and uh, so much so that I I thought at some point there might be in the new local newspaper tomorrow. Yogi found drawn in his own opinions. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I, uh, I reached out and talked to one of the teachers and, and told her what was going on for me. And we kind of undid, undid it very slowly. But from, from that time, which is a number of years ago, something in my mind has been really highlighted about this particular kind of clinging that I, I get very, uh, or at least I'm a lot more sensitized about. Yeah? I know the, how, how, how miserable uh, uh, views and opinion can uh, 
clinging to views and opinion can make uh, a life. And um, moving on a little bit in this subject of views and opinion, it is said that um, the worst that can happen also is uh, clinging to wrong view. Because there is something as wise view, a wise view. And this kind of clinging also can be... Uh, can, can be uh, stressful for, for self and others. But clinging to wrong view can be very, very dangerous. I'll give you an, uh, one example of wrong view. is believing that my actions and words uh, have no consequences. Ah, that doesn't count, you know. This, this mindset that we can get in sometimes, like as if one of the actions that we are about to do that we know as being kind of un, uh, unbeneficial. And we uh, consider it a little bit as a parenthesis. That doesn't really count, you know, because I'm a good person and uh, <laughs> doesn't count. And to actually forget that actually anything that we're doing with the mind, with the speech or with the action really has consequences. That's kind of a laws of, uh, of, uh, of uh, nature. Huh? We call it the law of karma, that what we do uh, bear fruits, like sitting here all week and attending to the mind, trying to develop um, friendliness, try to develop listening skills, acceptance, curiosity, uh, trying to let go of contention with reality, but uh, enter into a different kind of relationship with reality. This is karma. This all our actions and ways we used our mind. So we are, and even science will be in a car, uh, uh, agree with this, that we are developing new pathways in our uh, brain and stuff. We are doing stuff that are... So what we've done this week is not a parenthesis. It's not something that doesn't count. It will have ripple. It will have impact on our mind stream and in our society also. Uh, um, and in the same way, something that I decide to do, knowing that it's unwholesome, uh, is going to have an impact. There was a little example. There's a man who was uh, working uh, for my father at some point uh, in, the, in the company. And, uh, and uh, he was one of doing some ad administrative work, accounting work. And he found some kind of gap or a loophole or something where every week at the same time it could remove a little bit of money. I think it started with like $8. So we would just kind of divert the little $8 towards his paycheck. <laughs> I don't know where, you know. It's a small company and he had access to this. So he started doing this, you know, billing something. Or I don't know what he was doing. It was a very small amount. And um, so then he could started trying just a little bit more and you know he's working so hard and he's not paid enough and, blah, blah, blah. and just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and so at the end of the year they were like there's a gap of $150,000 it just doesn't add up so somebody went back in the books and found out that this had been going on so he ended up losing uh, his job of course lost his uh, wife because he had used the money around the house and anyway she was not she didn't agree with this whole thing so anyway he lost pretty much everything he, he had because of that uh, of that thing but in his mind there was a clinging huh? we can see clinging to uh, accumulation you know there was a wrong view that this is actually going to lead me to happiness 
this having a little bit more money or a lot more money will lead me to happiness. That's a wrong view. And uh, the wrong view that there was no consequences to his action was also uh, uh, a type of clinging that uh, can lead to a lot of trouble. So uh, to look at this. Maybe a last thing I'll say on uh, 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 views and opinion is that in the Buddhist uh, thoughts, it's, uh, it's said that views and opinions are supposed to lead us closer and closer to uh, ease of mind and freedom. So that gets really interesting for me because a lot of the views and opinions I have actually don't lead me to less stress. You know, what are your views on, um, if I say, uh, abortion? Does your view on abortion leads you to uh, more freedom and ease? That's interesting because um, I'm saying this, I'll tell you why, because uh, I have some views and opinion about, about uh, freedom of choice and uh, all this. And to go teach last year, I, had, I, I teach a few blocks from my house and I have to cross a little uh, park. Every night, a few nights a week, I would cross the park to go teach. And there was a group of uh, uh, people who were there expressing their views on, on this very subject very strongly, with very strong images, uh, photographs, and words that were very, very strong. Uh, and every day I had to cross through this park. Of course, I could have changed uh, my path, but it was interesting to me to watch uh, the mind uh, get stressed out and cling to a view. And, uh, and it, so the whole idea here is to um, consider, is it possible to actually have a view, have a clear view about something? It's not about not having view. It's not about not having pleasantness. You know, the, it's about clinging. Very important to, to see this. The Buddha is one who has loads of view. You read the text, only has views. <laughs> You know, no, you're wrong, you understand wrongly, yes, you get it right, you fool, uh, <laughs> you d didn't consider this rightly. Uh, you see this, a lot of this, but no clinging, apparently, that's how he is described, and that's when you read the text, that's the sense you get, that there's a lot of ease and a lot of clarity. Is it possible to actually have views and opinions in our lives, but let go of the clinging? How can we do this? So... I bring this just because we're going back home and there's going to be a lot of confrontation with views and opinions. Are they based in pleasant or unpleasant? Is, uh, is it possible to keep the view and release the clinging? Is the view uh, a wrong view for getting something very important such as uh, uh, the law of impermanence? I'll be happy forever when I get this being or this job or this, you know? Is there, uh, is, there the, is there a wrong view in there? Yeah? So I think, I think there's some stuff in there to work with, no? Yeah? I should move on maybe a bit. Um, so the other one is rites and uh, rituals, clinging to rites and rituals. And um, so I'll tell you just this uh, little story that I, because I love it so much. In the text, there is an, a very, it's happening, so it's happening more than 2,000 years ago. There's this young woman uh, who's going uh, by the Ganges, the river, 
the Holy River to get some water, five o'clock in the morning. And uh, her name is Punika. And so she goes to the river at five o'clock and there's a man who's bathing in the river, uh, Brahmin. And uh, she, I, I like the story because she has a really, I like her personality. She's, uh, she has an edge to her that, that, that I like. You know, she's, uh, she's kind of no bullshit uh, kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> so she, uh, in the text, it's really written pretty much like this. She gets to the water and she says, uh, what are you doing here? What do you fear that you come here uh, so early in the morning? It's freezing. You're in the water. You're, this is crazy. What are you doing here? I have no choice but to come here because the high-class lady are going to beat me up. They're going to shout at me if I don't bring uh, water early enough, you know, and, and boil water. And, but you, you're, you're, you're of the highest caste or, or so. What, what, are you, what do you fear that you're bathing in the morning like this? And he said, well, I'm, I'm uh, cleaning up all my uh, bad karma with uh, uh, cleaning myself in the water. I let go of all the bad actions and bad things that I've done in, in my life. And she's like, you are so mistaken. You're crazy. If, uh, if water could wash away uh, your bad karma, it would wash away your good karma too. <laughs> and if it could wash away the bad actions you've done, it would wash away the bad actions of uh, murderers and, and all the... You know all the shebangs, and it would also wash away the 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 uh, everything that crocodiles and frogs and fish have done. You know what 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 is your thinking? You're crazy. If there's something that you uh, you fear the result of, hello, just don't do it. <laughs> if there is something that you you usually say that you're not proud of that makes you uh, uncomfortable and makes you come to the water at five, just stop, what are, what are you doing? And in the text, the man says, oh my God, you just opened my eyes. It makes sense. You know, uh, thank you so much. Here, have my robes. I don't want your robes. <laughs> Keep your robes. Just be clever, be, have some discernment, you know. And, and by the way, at the end she said, and by the way, check out the Buddha, you know. The <laughs> take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Um, and this, maybe just to say that, uh, um, and it's not like you doing a ritual, like cleaning yourself in the water uh, is something that you should not do at all, but to do it with discernment, that this ritual that I'm getting in is actually my way to put in three-dimensional way, maybe, uh, something that I... I I want to uh, a new intention that I have to let go of something and I create a ritual around it, but not to believe that the ritual itself is going to... It's not because you get married that it's going to be fantastic. But it's beautiful maybe to get married and invite a whole community to witness a commitment that you're doing. And, yeah? So it's all about um, having discernment on what leads to what and what doesn't lead to what in life. So that's on rites and ritual. The way I like to think about this whole uh, subject here is around um, uh, conventions. Um, so what do I mean by that? One time I was here on retreat, and uh, actually at another center, 
And uh, there's a man who, uh, there was a group discussion like we had uh, this week. And there's a man who was talking to uh, the teacher who was there and uh, said to this, it was a monk, and he said, uh, I own a restaurant. And uh, every week or so, there's somebody, same guy who comes with his uh, paint can and does a, a tag, a graffiti on, the, on my window. And I'm so pissed off. Because this is my restaurant, this is my window, it's illegal to make, do graffitis. And, uh, and what should I do with this? Because you won't stop, you know, and I can't catch, uh, catch the guy. And so the, the, the monk said, you need to clarify a few things here. You need to clarify conventional reality and ultimate reality. Very important that... Um, on a conventional reality level, we can say uh, it's your restaurant. We can agree with this because it's a convention. We all agreed on this. This Okay, this is his restaurant. Yeah, okay, this is his restaurant. Let's sign paper. This is his restaurant. <laughs> but on the ultimate level, it's not possible to own a restaurant. Do you, do you see what I mean? We can agree on this on a conventional reality, but it doesn't make it to the ultimate reality. And so our way to understand the difference between conventional reality and ultimate reality, in there lies a lot of our freedom and ease. And it's important because what we're looking for is a happiness that is uh, unconditional, that is not uh, sp specific to certain circumstances. Yeah? So in case of this guy, you'll say, yeah, but it makes sense that he would be angry. It does make sense, but we are interested in the freedom that goes beyond the, it makes sense to be angry. Do you understand? So he said, it's important for you to understand that yes, it's a law that you can't uh, do a graffiti on a wall or on a window, but this is conventional reality also. A law is good as long as everybody agrees about it. You know? And we have an other agreements that if you do break the law, then there are consequences that are such and such. But this is not ultimate reality. It's not ultimate reality that we drive on the right side. You know? In some countries, it is a conventional reality that you drive on the right side. And in other countries, it is a conventional reality that you drive on the left side. So it's important for us to become interested in that and see like, where is ultimate reality and conventionality dif different here? And where do I get stuck because I can't recognize one in the other? Yeah. And uh, when I talk about these groups, these four uh, different kinds of attachment, you see that they, this is theory. We take the life of uh, suffering and freedom from suffering and we kind of theorize it. We make little groupings, but they're not totally clean. They, they lap over each other. Yeah. So if somebody comes here in the middle of the sit and does a lot of noise, we might get irritated. So there's a breaking of a convention where we say, please come on time. Uh, there's also the displeasure that we might feel. So do we, do we cling to the convention? Do we cling to the unpleasantness of the sound that disturbed my uh, fantasy, maybe, or <laughs> <laughs> my presence in the be be best case? Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it, or I could have a view and be stuck with a view about how one should behave or should not behave. But uh, so that's what we're we were invited to do this week, to recognize this. Okay, I'm stuck in a view that this person shouldn't breathe like they're breathing like now. 
yeah, or I'm stuck because there's unpleasantness at the ear door and, and the mind rages about the unpleasantness, can't deeply recognize that this is a passing experience. Yeah, there's maybe not enough calm or enough... Uh, uh, but then, anyway, when clinging is there, it's not an occasion to uh, judge ourselves more or lash out. What we're trying to practice here is the, the middle path huh, of recognizing what is here and trying to uh, bring about appropriate response with what we find here. If we find clinging to any of the four uh, kinds of uh, attachment, it's not to judge, it's to actually say, oh, there's being stuck here. How to release the stuckness? How to entangle the nut? Is there anything else I want to add about conventional reality? Well, I, I, I'll take a, a, maybe a four more minutes to talk about norms, maybe, just because uh, that's uh, one place where we can, stuck, we can get stuck a lot. And today, uh, I think it's okay for me to say this in the LGBT uh, group. That was part of the conversation we were having about... Uh, about the norms, the pressure that uh, we might feel, or I can, I can put it personal. As a gay man, the pressure that I might feel about the norm in society that I often uh, feel as uh, heterocentric uh, or heterosexist even. And so uh, the norm that is very strong presented to me on billboards, on uh, on TV, in conversation, uh, do you have a girlfriend? You know, always in the obviousness that uh, heterosexuality is the norm. Um, and so the pressure that and the clinging that can happen uh, to this, the imposition that, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, the difficulty of doing a coming out, why? It's because many people are uh, stuck on norms that a man should be with a, a woman and you know, things like this. So how my participating in the norms impose, uh, my clinging to norms uh, um, create suffering to somebody else. Yeah? We were talking about this and also about how we internalized it, how maybe I might have in myself uh, uh, some kind of uh, inner homophobia as a gay man, some kind of hatred for... Uh, what I have because I have uh, been conditioned to some norms and uh, didn't fit these norms. So the clinging, that, the suffering that can come with this. And how, as a mat mature practitioner, can I release this? Uh, how can I release this inside of me and how can I release this inside of others? How can I do this um, without causing more harm, but with clarity, maybe with kindness even? Uh, it's a, whole, it's a whole path, anyway. But uh, just a few more words on norms. I was le uh, reading an article from Rita Gross, who's um, a feminist Buddhist thinker, and she, it was so well put. I thought she said, uh, I clearly, clearly have a female body. There's no doubt about this. And it leads people to assume all the time that I either have children or can have children or ever wanted to have children, which are all assumptions that are actually not, it's not a given that I can 
that I did, that I want to. People assume a lot of the time uh, what gender I'm uh, attracted to. They have been as many times as, as uh, right and wrong. And, uh, and she says, people also have seen how many times they project on me how, what kind of qualities I, could, I should have, what kind of interest I should have. You know? So this, impose, this norm, how it imposes on people and how we get uh, confused because uh, the more the norm is strict, the more uh, when it's not what we find in the heart that this is, I don't uh, conform in some ways and the, all the difficulty around this. So how in our life do we impose, uh, participate in forms in an unconscious way? So for me, the work is to actually become con conscious of forms, of uh, norms, sorry, and to actually decide, do I want to participate in this? Do I want to help break this norm a bit? You know? And that is valid for now, I just talked about maybe gender and sexuality, but it's, so, it's about anything, the norms that we have in our culture. Yeah? So that's a whole talk in itself. The last uh, bit that I'll talk about is the more subtle, subtlest, the subtlest form of uh, <laughs> clinging, and, uh, which is the identification and the uh, appropriation of, um, of uh, something. So um, this is said to be uh, an area where there's so much suffering and, uh, and it's, it's, um, if we can actually release uh, or clarify what's what in there, we can find tremendous and maybe complete freedom in our lives around this identification. Very quickly, I'll say this just for your curiosity maybe, that uh, it is said in one of the texts that there's only four ways in which we, uh, we identify our own experience. So, I either believe or have a sense, a perception, very convincing, so much so that in most of our society we, ne we never question this, you know, I think, therefore I am, it's a given, you know, I can question everything else but that I exist as a something, there is a Pascal in there, like uh, some essence that's called Pascal, uh, is something that is really uh, uh, hardly ever questioned. And Buddhism questioned this. It says, is there really something essential that is Pascal? And the Buddha says, I haven't found this. I've found a lot of things that come and go. Qualities come and go, sensations come and go, emotions, ideas, ways of uh, opinions come comes and go, pleasantness. All this is only a dynamism that is there. There's nothing that is stays uh, to the core. And... Um, so these four ways is, um, is you either think that something is, uh, or perceive that something is um, you, it's me, this is who I am, yeah? So I'll say, uh, um, this body is me, or, yeah, maybe, or another version is, um, it's mine. Now this body is not me, but it happens to be mine right now. It's either me or mine or I'm in it. This body is, is not me, but I'm in it. I swear I'm in it. 
or so it's me, it's mine. Le mine, for example, an easy example that I use all the time, it's, it's, but it's my bike. There's an identification appropriation. It doesn't have to be so subtle. It's like, it's my bike. It is my bike. Yeah? No, it's not. I mean, it is on the conventional reality level, but it doesn't make it to the ultimate. You, do, you, don't, <laughs> you, don't, you don't go with the bike. <laughs> so it's me, it's mine, it's, it's inside of me, or I'm inside it is the fourth one. Or, or, or it's inside of me. Like, for example, the emotions, they're, they're, somebody can say, yeah, this joy is me. Oh, it's gone. Where am I if it's me? No. Ah, no, okay, it's not me, but it's in me. It's in me. Huh? Do you f we have this, this uh, experience of life, like, what is he talking about? Of course things are inside of me. You know? And so the teaching says that um, when we have these views, there is going to be suffering at some point. I'll give you a, an example to finish with, maybe. I don't know if I ever finish, but <laughs> I'll say that anyway. So when I was 25 years old, uh, I was very, very healthy. And I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, that I was very identified with health. Because in my sense, I would never have said that in an intelligent conversation, that I was uh, healthy forever. I, I would not have been able to, to say that. Right? But I found out that this was really what I thought, that the health was something permanent and... and uh, and the youth, I was very identified with youth at 25. Uh, and health, there was these two main things. And one day I went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, uh, do you feel good? I feel great, I'm great also. <laughs> Not only do I feel great, but I'm great. <laughs> and he said, uh, there's a bad news, you don't really have any, uh, an immune system anymore, it's gone. So, you know, it's, uh, and uh, at that point, this was the, the HIV, and at that point, the, the medication was not out uh, and efficient like it, it is today. So when I learned that, it was really like, you know, there's a few years, maybe, but there's an end, you know. It was very, very shocking for me. I, I remember being in the doctor's office, and, uh, and he said, so, you know, the immune system is down, and... Uh, and you, uh, you know, you're in bad shape. And suddenly there was this um, crumbling of reality. I thought I was health. I didn't know before, but at that time, I, it really became clear that the core of what I was, health, didn't exist. It was, mis I, it was a mistake. It was not permanent, and it was not even there, actually. And uh, youth also, suddenly, because I have seen a number of people who had died uh, before and they had gotten very, very old, very quickly, you know. I remember a, f a guy that actually I thought was pretty handsome. Uh, I hadn't seen him for a while and then I saw him maybe a year after a year and I couldn't believe, like I didn't even recognize him. And I remember the impact on my mind of seeing this guy being going from youthful and handsome to really uh, extremely thin and there was only the eyes that were left that I could kind of recognize. And so when the doctor said this to me, there was this, this, wow, youth, I had this illusion of youth. 
and it, it actually is, was a mistake. I was identified with it. And that led to a lot of suffering to actually release the, no, I was not youth. This is not what I was. I was not health. Uh, and what else was I not, you know? But uh, it got shaken to the, the, the very core of it. And I link this with, um, uh, many of you will know the story of uh, the Buddha-to-be. When uh, he, was, he was a prince, the legend at least says that he was a prince t- taken care of in all the most beautiful ways, only beautiful food, youth around him, and didn't know anything about sickness, old age, death. And one day, one night, uh, jumped over the fence of the palace and met, um, met uh, had foresight that changed his life. He, first he saw... Um, he saw a, a sick person and was really taken aback. Imagine you've only seen people dancing and singing and doing the split and, you know, <laughs> and suddenly you see somebody who's like gray and green and vomiting, you know, and, and what's that, you know? And he learned that this was sickness and it would happen to him and the shock of that and then seeing uh, somebody who was old and the shock of that and seeing somebody who was dead and the shock of seeing a corpse. What is this? You know, what, what happened? And so, uh, and then the fourth uh, things, the thing that he saw, the fourth encounter or heavenly messenger it's called is a, a, a monk. He saw a renunciate. And so, w- what is this with the shaved head and the wearing almost nothing and that somebody was looking for answers to this life. And so I didn't know that story at the time, but later when I heard the story, I remember thinking, oh my God, this this exact, this is what happened to me in the doctor's office. The Buddhas to be saw these sights, but I moved in with them. You know, like I went back home at night with uh, dis-ease, with old age, with uh, death. And... uh, and I could see, uh, it, w- it became very apparent that there was an attachment there. There was a, a mying and eyeing around something that was shaky. Uh, and um, so it's um, important for us to see what, where do I uh, own or I identify? And, uh, and is it ne- necessary? If I come back to the example of um, generosity that I was talking about earlier, it's the same appropriation that can happen like this, where I, there's a act, act quality of state mind of generosity followed by an action that is generous, and this identification that will complexify, solidify something that is beautiful and pure, like the presence of generosity. I'm so generous. I'm just, I've always been generous. And suddenly somebody says, hey, you were a little cheap yesterday when... Uh, cheap. Moi? I'm not cheap. I'm generous. Don't you know? You know? And the wisdom of recognizing, oh, there's generosity here. Oh, there's no generosity here right now. And what is the appropriate response? You know? And so um, this invitation to re- release and that's a big subject. We're not going to cover it, of course, tonight. But to release as much as possible the fascination with moi and who I am and who I, uh, all this. And just to, uh, for me, a simple way to, to live more, more, uh, more sim- simplest, simpler way to live these days is just to think in terms of um, who's driving the show. That's a question I ask a lot. So who's, who's, who's driving? What energy, what quality of mind is present? 
Is it the curiosity, openness, the wanting to solve? Or is it resentment? Is it uh, fear? Is it closing down? Is this not wanting to hear about? Is it, is it uh, stinginess? You know? Not so much, is it me or not me? Or I don't have to solve this. I can just recognize that something is there and can be cultivated, and something is there and is not so beneficial. And can it be, uh, um, the expression I used the other night is um, accompanied to the door. Can it be uh, gracefully released as much as possible? Yeah? So you don't have to think in terms of me or uh, I'm so bad or I'm so good. You just recognize, oh, here's something wholesome. Is something not so wholesome. Yeah. That should make your life easy. Okay, go home now. <laughs> so, um, maybe one reason uh, to let go of some of the eyeing and myeing also is this thing about um, if, there is a, if there is an I, there's some things that are mine, and there's also, there's also the outside. So, there's me and there's the world. And that creates some kind of separation and isolation, and that's painful. And if there is a me and a world outside, it means that, okay, I think that I see that it's viable, we can do something with this, but it's going to need a lot of control and a lot of manipulation and a lot of, you know. Um, and so that's, that's a, and um, there's a monk I heard was saying, um, to, um, to have a me, an I, and try to experience a, a world that doesn't burden us is, is, uh, is a little bit like trying to run away from your own shadow. It's not possible. If there is I, there is a world that burdens it. There is a complicated relationship. So maybe the path of a lifetime, because this eyeing and mying is very subtle and it creeps in everywhere. Uh, the path of a lifetime, maybe, is to actually release more and more of this eyeing and mying and keep, uh, keep the clarity, keep the, uh, keep the, the discernment, the wisdom. Maybe I'll finish to help shut me up with a, a poem, a, or a piece of a poem. And it says this here. Ah, not to be cut off, not through the slightest partition, shut out from the law of the stars, the inner. What is it, if not the intensified sky? Hmm. Not to be cut off, not through the slightest partition, shut up, out from the law of the stars. The inner, what is it, if not the intensified sky?
may the work that we have done this week uh, bring uh, help bring ease in our life and uh, also uh, offer ease help uh, us offer ease and protection to all beings may we all experience uh, no partition Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.